What up, what up? Episode 125 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with me, Anthony Samrov. Today, we are going to talk about private health insurance in the USA. Uh, private insurance being in bed, the government can't believe it. I've never heard of corporations being in bed with the government and how they rip you off, especially if you happen to live in America. So last week I talked about Medicare for all. Uh, the episode did really well. I said that if it went well, then I'd talk more about the healthcare system in America since I am writing a book on the topic and it, uh, a couple of people said that they'd like that. One thing we mentioned last time is that the USA, half of the spending on healthcare in the USA is conducted by the government. Most of the other healthcare spending is made by insurance companies. Very little healthcare is paid for over the counter in the USA. Most of it is by third party providers. If you look at the figures, America spends 17.2% of gross national product on healthcare. Half of that is government spending, which means that compared to somewhere like here, the UK, where we have socialized healthcare, 9.7% of GNP we spend that total, but most of it spent by the government. So you could say the government in America spends about as much on healthcare as our government spends, but they're spending twice as much as we are overall. So what, what is going on here? Why is healthcare so expensive in America? Our, our government spends £2,892 per head. Your government spends more than that. Um, why is healthcare so expensive in America? That's the name of the book that I'm almost finished writing. Point of information, I would like to get a decent editor on this book. If you want to contribute to that, you can donate some cash for me. Frequency528 at hotmail.co.uk. You can PayPal me to get a good editor for that book. I will probably or certainly actually give the PDF version of it for free, even though it'll be available to buy in paperback and Kindle version, but I will probably put it out for free because I like as many people as possible to read it. People need a PDF if they're going to copy and paste facts and figures to other people on Facebook or YouTube when they get into to debates. As we know, the facts don't care about your feelings, so we're going to be factual in this presentation. Facts, not feels. That's just a point that I wanted to put out there. Apart from the fact that the government pays for half of the healthcare in the USA, the government also has a hand in every aspect of who's allowed to buy and sell healthcare, who's allowed to provide health insurance, as we'll see, who's allowed to license practitioners and so forth. So we're always told that here in the UK, if people have complaints with our NHS, we're said, well, do you want the system in America? Like, that's the alternative, that private system, that free market system. No, it's not a free market in America. It's an extremely overzealously regulated market. Well, there's overzealous government intervention in the market. And it's created this crony capitalist environment where severe restrictions apply across the board for any form of provision, whether it's over the counter or whether it's who you're allowed to buy 
health insurance from. Now, last time in the episode called Medicare for All, uh, which you guys seem to have liked, I talked about how the incentive of having, uh, for example, the government pay for healthcare the way that it does through the Medicare program, which is a welfare program, for, uh, but instead of giving money to people to buy healthcare, they just pay the healthcare provider. So what does that mean? As a healthcare provider, what are the incentives for me? Well, the government's paying it, so I'll just charge as much money as possible. And I gave the example of the drug Solvadi, which they sold for $1,000 a pill at first and fleeced the government and private providers for $1,000 a pill, private health insurance providers for $1,000 a pill. And that wasn't the only, that was just an example of this kind of behavior. There's several more examples. So the difference is when it comes to insurance companies, you would think that they want to keep the premiums that people have to pay them down as low as possible. They'd be eager to avoid paying out huge sums of money for expensive treatments when cheaper ones will do, for example, for unnecessary tests, for unnecessary procedures. If they didn't pay out for these things or directed people signposted people properly, surely they'd be able to remain competitive and they'd outcompete other insurance companies, other insurance providers. Well, unfortunately, private insurance providers will typically get to keep a small percentage of the money they pay out. So when so if they're paying out more, they're getting more of a kickback. So that creates an incentive for the health insurance companies to collude with drug companies and with private hospitals to fleece the public. So I mentioned last week some figures about 2.4 billion a year on just on 200, 1,000 unnecessary stent operations, a study in JAMA Internal Medicine, 8.5 billion um, a year spent on procedures that provide little, if any, medical benefit. I said that there are estimates between 200 and 800 billion wasted annually on unnecessary checks and tests because you just go, the hospital the, the hospital just goes, we'll get this scan and this scan and this scan just in case. And your insurance provider is paying for it. So you go, yeah, that sounds okay. Yeah, just, just in case, because no one wants to take a risk with their health. One thing is that the insurance companies get a kickback for the money they spend on your health care. So that disincentivizes them from not ordering unnecessary tests and uh, trying to keep prices down. But another thing is, this obviously couldn't happen if there was a diverse range of people that you could buy your health insurance from, right? Because if there was tons of health insurance companies, then all it takes is one insurance company to undercut all the others by sourcing the most reasonable providers. And everyone needs to, everyone needs to catch on, otherwise they're gonna lose business. Um, you know, as I mentioned last time as well, quality care is available abroad and often for a fraction of the cost of the US. Insurance companies could fly you, say for example, there's a, a famous clinic in uh, Bangalore, India, 
that charges $1,600 for coronary artery bypass surgeries, known as cabbages for short. Um, and that's an operation that costs more than $100,000 in the USA, and their mortality rates are comparable with the USA, or even better than those in the uh, than those in the UK or the USA. And they save money by running 500 tests a day, so they keep their average costs down, and they can negotiate better deals with suppliers because it's a huge hospital. They've got such a huge volume. Uh, they specialise in in this kind of heart operation, and they they do it without a heavy administrative overheads or uh, bureaucrats. And they still manage to see lots of patients for free at discount rates. And they also train specialists there. So they have a clinic. Now, $1,600 compared to $100,000, your healthcare provider could easily fly you outside the US for that if you were willing to do it. Um, you get a nice holiday to India with your wife at the same time. And they'd still be able to save money. There's tons of examples of places abroad that can undercut the US and provide comparable qualities of healthcare. But you won't see that happening yet anytime soon because there's no pressure put on commercial hospitals and clinics to price match or lose out under the system. A problem is that in many states, you're forbidden from buying health insurance from a company that's not based in the same state as you. Never mind from outside the USA. So, say a Canadian health insurance company. Why would it be a Canadian health insurance company? Just an example. So, there's very often a company based abroad. You're not allowed to buy health insurance from them. So, the government is closing ranks on who is allowed to provide health insurance, and the lack of competition plays in to these abuses. A lot of the time, people aren't allowed to choose policies that suit them. There are heavy state mandates on what you have to get insured for. That makes it difficult or impossible for many people to find low-cost, high-deductible policies that can insure them against medical catastrophes. Now, since payments are often even made by employers, that makes them even less transparent. I mean, think about it, right? Employees have no idea how much money their employer is wastefully throwing at insurance companies and no idea how wastefully those insurance companies are throwing that money at commercial hospitals for a kickback or ordering you an expensive treatment when there's a cheap treatment that will just do will do just as well. And even if they do offer you that cheap treatment, you'll think, wait a minute, am I getting something of lower value here? Because we tend to assume that a more expensive treatment is a better one. Now the shift to healthcare being provided by third party payers like private insurance companies and insurance paid for employers and the government began during World War II under every libertarian's favorite president, Franklin D. Roosevelt. He passed the Stabilization Act. And what this did was that it prevented employees from raising wages. The War Labor Board passed all sorts of wages and price controls, but then they ruled that it didn't apply to fringe benefits like health insurance. Now, 
us free marketeers know very well, if you set a minimum wage, then anyone who's not as productive as the minimum wage is just going to not find themselves in a job. They're, we're not going to employ someone for more than they're worth to us as an employer. More importantly, though, well, not more importantly, probably less importantly, but importantly in the context of this discussion, if you put a wage ceiling on, employers can't pay to attract people who are worth more than the wage ceiling. So they're going to have to find some way to entice them. And how they enticed them was by offering them extra health insurance. More health insurance will, will insure you from this, that and the other. And before long, this became an institutional norm because the USA fund, uh, employer funded health insurance is tax exempt, which creates a tendency to offer more compensation in the form of health insurance rather than wages. As a consequence of that, many Americans receive a huge portion of their pay packet in the form of health insurance to avoid this extra tax on their income. Now, that would seem lovely. Oh, isn't it great to get so much extra insurance? But actually, what that amounts to, you're not getting that as well as your pay. You're getting that instead of your pay, right? As I've said before, and Universal Basic Income for and Against, my book, Buy It on Kindle, actually soon coming out in paperback, second edition, I've made it much better. Can't wait to announce that. Uh, I can't, it's not available for pre-order yet, but it'll be out soon. Um, I mentioned the fact that employers have a certain amount to budget for their labour costs, and it doesn't matter to them whether they give them an extra lunch break or a staff room or extra health insurance or extra wage or pony rides, free pony rides, right? That's the money that I've got to pay for my labor costs. And how I give that to you, how I pay you is immaterial. It's all the same to me. So employees tend to get roughly the, the deal they want. Like, like Ben Powell, Benjamin Powell, great economist, went out to third world countries and he did these surveys where they asked them, would you like a longer tea break? Would you like more safety equipment? Would you like down the line all the perks they could possibly have? And of course he said, yes, 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 yes. But then when he said, or more pay, no, 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 no. Because they're a poor country, they prefer more pay to more amenities in the workplace. But once we get a certain standard of living, we're willing to take certain amounts of pay cuts to have a more comfortable workplace, to have a longer tea break, to have a nice staff room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a trade-off. The government, by incentivizing employers to pay for health insurance, by taxing it less than straight pay, has created a situation where people are overinsured, and because of that, they're getting paid less. There's no such thing as a free lunch, in other words. So, as you said, people are overinsured. Their policies cover them from every condition around the sun, excuse me, under the sun, including things they're never likely to contract. Um, they might be insured for minor things, which they'd be better off paying out of pocket if they ever did contract those conditions. You know, we call those routine oil changes. Why? partly because people don't buy insurance for oil changes, but it's also because 
they happen predictably. You know that you're going to have to change your oil at some and with relative frequency. You know that it's going to happen sooner or later. And it also they also don't cost much to pay for. The last time I talked to you about an example of a guy who went in to see a dermatologist and was told that he'd be charged seven hundred dollars for his insurance would be charged seven hundred dollars for a twenty minute procedure that would be performed by his assistant. He shopped around and found that he could get it done over the counter for $50, right? So that's the incentives for this insurance, 14 times the price they were going that he could get it for, they were going to charge those insurance companies, right? So because there's no such thing as a free lunch, the average person who's excessively insured is taking home less pay to spend on their kids, home, partner, car, holiday, whatever else they want. And while these mandates can potentially force a 20-year-old to pay for fertility insurance, which they're never going to need, it's going to suit the insurers because they get an increase in premium payments for a service, which they're never actually going to have to pay on. Colin Gunn, who we've had on this show, an episode called What's Wrong with the NHS? Great episode, if I say so myself, go back and listen to it. He explains that sometimes a young man may be mandated to pay for maternity care, psychotherapy, drug and alcohol re rehabilitation, lactation consultations for a man, by the way, fertility treatment, contraceptions, and in some case, abortion, which, you know, that might be a Christian. He might not agree with abortion. Whether you or you don't agree with an abortion, if you're a libertarian, you probably agree that no one should be able to be forced to pay for an abortion. Uh, I don't, yeah, we can discuss, we, we, we also had a libertarian debate on on abortion in one episode. If you, if you like this so much, you want to check out previous episodes. Right, there's another major problem with the shift from employees paying for insurance out of pocket to employers paying them out of wages, which is, in many cases, if people lose their jobs, they'll suddenly find themselves completely without health care. Even after years of paying into the system, we're fond of saying, I paid into the system, um, they might have no health insurance. And it damages the job market because it kills opportunities. Andrew Yang, who's running for president in 2020, I read his book, The War on Normal People. I'm debating him in September in New York, as many of you know. It was originally going to be the 9th of September. It looks like it might have been moved to the 10th of September. So in 20, he wrote a book, The War on Normal People. He was an entrepreneur. And he said, if I had to hire a full-time entry-level worker in New York at $42,000, I have to factor in an additional $6,000 for health care insurance costs. For employers, company subsidized healthcare insurance costs are a major impediment to hiring and growth. The costs get a lot higher for senior people with families. My last company was spending more than $2,500 a month on certain people's insurance plans. If these costs weren't on our books, we definitely would have hired more people. Now, his solution to that is Medicare for all. I disagree. If you've not heard it yet, listen to the last episode called Medicaid for all and you'll find out why. Now, let's talk a bit about Obamacare. As I said before, um, it forced people to buy insurance. Uh, some people were choosing not to bother spending $300 a month, even despite the fact that Obamacare made that illegal because 
well, people were already not paying it because it was covering things that they didn't think that they were likely to get. And the penalties for non-compliance might be below the cost of paying. So that doesn't encourage people to buy into Bamacare. Um, now, I went through how the basically be, between 2000 and 2010, both the percentage and number of Americans on private insurance fell, leaving 50 million uninsured. And in response to that, actually the price of health insurance and health, sorry, healthcare started falling in some places, but Obamacare came into the rescue to force these people to buy insurance. And Obama thought, or said he thought, it would save $2,500 per family per year, but actually what it did was, from 2000, uh, overall spending reached 3.4 trillion in 2016, more than $10,000 for each person in the USA. Now, any Austrian economist could have predicted that because by forcing 50 million Americans to obtain coverage and participate in Medicare, Obamacare just declawed them of their strongest bargaining power, which was the power to walk away. And as I said, if someone required 5 million a year in healthcare, they were entitled to it under the system. It created no pressure for healthcare providers to find ways to lower costs in order to attract insurance uh, companies to use them or for insurance companies to lower costs to attract clients. Now let's look at some of our comments. Adam Smasher says, so that's why my insurance plan covers prescription cocaine. Uh, if only, or maybe that's, maybe you're alluding to the opiate crisis. Roberto Carlos, here's a, a thought is a cure economically viable when prevention leaves the investor company unliable? Hmm. Now there's a point, you know, our healthcare system depends on people being sick. So you get paid, a doctor gets paid when he treats you, a surgeon gets paid when he cuts, etc. So where is the incentive to cure things when you can make lots of money from treating people forever? Now in my book, I talk about that, the, 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 one, that, the one that I'm hoping to release next. Nearly done. A little bit more work. It's one of the hardest books I've tried to write because it's just not just a research project, but getting some of my ideas and my solutions out of my head into a coherent narrative is was really, really trying. So economics is the law. Ill health, I'm sure there's more in store. So our, I, I think definitely our current system, which is it's not the profit motive, Profit is good, you know, uh, encourages people to deliver services that are satisfactory. But right now, the alignment of the health industry is not aligned with our health because they don't make money from making people well. They make money from treating sickness. What is the answer for a cure for cancer? An industry built on disease to produce a cure. They'll be ill at ease. I bet, yeah, I bet if you're rich enough, there'll be PAMs you can grease. Right, that's Roberto Carlos. Excellent comments. Thank you very much. Adam Smasher, like the stream to push it up in YouTube's algorithm. Okay, yeah, last time I tried, the last couple of times I tried to stream on Facebook rather than YouTube to compare the difference, right? 
So we speak spoken before in the last episode about in the past when the average person in America paid for health care out of pocket, they were far more sensitive to the price of services. So I don't want to go over this all the same ground again and again. Um, just you know, there's a there's a cool episode of John Stossel on YouTube where he talks to a guy called Melvin Gerard of G&G Healthcare. And he has to pay four employees just to fill out insurance company paperwork. And Stossel says that doctors spend 14% of their income just paying staff to, or, or spend their time to fill out all these forms. And Gerard, Gerald is filmed saying, when patients have insurance, they don't ask the price of things. Um, Stossel poses the question, what if you had grocery insurance? Why buy a hamburger? I'll just buy steak. Why look for sales? I'll just buy everything. And then you get John Mackey of Whole Foods. And he says, instead of, if you had grocery insurance, instead of buying a bottle of wine for $7.99, you might choose a $300 bottle of wine since you only have to pay 5% as a deductible. So it's only going to cost you 15 bucks and you're getting a way, way, way better bottle of wine. And, you know, this was this grocery insurance analogy has been around for a while. Senator Phil Graham put it in Congress. If 95% of what you put in your grocery basket was paid for by grocery insurance, you would eat differently and so would your dog. So when medical care is free at the point of use, it encourages people to use treatments that are ineffective, treatments that are harmful and treatments that are wasteful and rely on intense medical treatments instead of doing other things that would be cheaper and more effective, like looking after your health maybe. So we talked about how insurance should only be for catastrophic coverage. And I guess it just leaves the question about how those without means would pay, would pay if healthcare wasn't insured. And I'm going to discuss ways of that in detail in chapter eight of the book, the last chapter. But for now, like I give you an example of a 14 to one ratio of, of buying over the counter compared to getting health insurance to pay for it. Keith Smith of the Oklahoma Surgery Center specializes in receiving customers who pay over the counter. He has the prices listed for all his procedures. Many of them are a fifth or a tenth as much as they cost in other hospitals that usually deal with Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance companies. If you could only reduce the healthcare costs in America by 75%, never mind a 14th or a 10th, 75%, that would free up more than enough resources to look after people. And when you think about people with pre-existing conditions, they can form organizations together to advocate for their interests, they can form charities, they can find way ways to support each other. And um, because there's so many of them, they can block, uh, if, they, if they create organizations, they can block bargain for things, they can put pressure on the industry. The government, being the backstop, um, removes all the incentives to organize. So 
interesting thing coming back to Roberto Carlos' point. I'm at the point, you know, every year I've heard it on TV, politicians say we're treating more patients than ever before. And the obvious question is, well, why the fuck is everyone so sick? You know, that's not a victory, treating patients ever more than ever before. So in a sane healthcare system, people would be healthier. So you'd be treating less patients ever before. Costs should go down. And people say things like, oh, but medical industry is very technology, technology dependent. So that's why it's so expensive. Well, you know, in 1999, uh, the average price of a 20-inch flat-screen TV was $1,200. And in 2011, you can get the same TV you could for $84, 7% of the price tag. So in technological industries like you know, our phones or laptops, the price plummets over time. So if it's a very tech-heavy industry, the price should be plummeting on a free market. Um, Ron Paul in his book, The Revolution, said, in the, in the days before Medicare and Medicaid, the poor and elderly, <laughs> that's my Ron Paul impression, the poor and elderly were admitted to hospital at the same rate they are now and received good care. As a physician, I never accepted Medicare or Medicaid money from the government and instead offered cut rate or free services to those who could not afford care. Before those programs came into existence, every physician understood that he or she had a responsibility towards the less fortunate and free medical care for the poor was the norm. Hardly anyone is aware of this today. Laws and regulations that inflated the cost of medical services and imposed unreasonable liability standards on medical professionals, even when they were acting in a volunteer capacity, later made offering free care cost prohibitive. But free care for the poor was common at the time. Similarly in the UK, before the days of the NHS, it was normal for doctors to see patients for free in hospital and to see private patients at another time of day for a living. Doctors leaned, learned in the hospital as students instead of studying separately as university. And then when they became specialists, they gained prestige for being a consultant to a hospital and they were expected to hand on their expertise to the next generation of students as well and that was how the institution of healthcare here in the UK was structured. So consultants gave their time free of charge and typically spent much of the time treating the poor as well as the rich. General practitioners would adjust their fees to the means of patients, what they could afford, and an estimated 20% of the population received free services from a GP as late as the early 20th century. Free treatment was also provided by charitable hospitals. <coughs> now, it's important to know that this is in a time where society had, had access to much less wealth than it does now. Um, you know, so the, the NHS is an expression of the desire of the British people to have universal coverage. That's corrupted by being provided through the government, in my opinion, but I still think with that ethos, you could have much better universal provision, but you need to be risk averse enough to believe that people will find another expression for that desire on a free market, even if guns aren't pointed at them. How can you be that optimistic? Well, they're willing to vote for it. They're willing to vote most of them to be taxed for it. Even most conservative politicians in the UK are strongly in favour of the NHS. 
the NHS spending has increased under the Conservative Party every year. So there's that element of charity and it would cost a fraction of the cost now because of the over-the-counter payments, as we've discussed at length. Um, and people would be allowed to volunteer. Uh, in the past, nurses used to learn on the job. Now they have to go to uni. They hardly get contact time while they're training. Those kind of things bring down prices. If necessary, people who can afford it could go on a payment plan. They could start crowdfunding. They've got options, right? Uh, they can go and negotiate. Um, as, uh, another idea I like is assuming that they're able-bodied, they can volunteer in the hospital in the way of thanking the hospital for treating them. They can um, agree to be there uh, to have students in the room during their procedures so that students can learn uh, how to treat someone in their condition. Um, there's loads of ways that community can step in. The backstop is, you know, you go, are you fucking kidding me? My wife's dying and you won't treat us? And you can go to the papers and create some kind of scandal about, about the hospital because uh, they turned you out to die. Uh, these are just examples to show that people have choices. Um, and you're also kind of creating moral hazard where people are more inclined to take care of their health. I'm not really sure that works in the real world. Like it is an argument we hear a lot and it's definitely appealing as libertarians, but you know, people have to pay shed loads of money for healthcare in the US and they have serious problems with obesity. Also, such people die a lot younger and most of the intensive care is needed when you're old. So it's possible that living a healthy lifestyle under the current system actually ends up causing the healthcare industry or making, making the healthcare industry more money. Um, another system is, you know, instead of giving Medicare and Medicaid, the government gives people vouchers, which they can go and re redeem uh, at the hospital they want. So forcing the hospitals to um, compete for the vouchers, for the, for the government money. That's not a very libertarian policy, but it might be well better than what the government do doesn't do. Some simple policy suggestions based on what I've said that would radically reduce the costs of healthcare in America. One, well, tackle the problem of governments and insurance companies paying for unnecessary and wasteful te tests, treatments and procedures. Two, reduce the regulations on who can provide health insurance in the USA, including removing all laws prohibiting Americans from purchasing medical insurance originating from companies in states other than their own, as well as countries other than their own, that would force the health insurance companies to compete, right? Remove the tax exemption status of employer-funded health insurance in the US. Get rid of the tax exemption on that. I know that sounds like an extra tax. What it just means is it's going to be taxed at the same time as wages, so it doesn't incentivize people to be overinsured. They'll get the money in their pocket and they can pay for what they want with it. Four, uh, tackle Medicare and Medicaid fraud, such as upcoding. Um, upcoding is when the hospital puts through a procedure as a more expensive one than the one they actually did. It's rife in the USA. I've got no idea how much fraud there is, but it's a shed load. And um, 
So remove all restrictions on the provision of health insurance in America. Next week, if you're enjoying this, I'm going to talk about how the government intervenes in the provision of private healthcare and the level of sort of hospitals, doctors, patents and all that stuff. Thanks very much for tuning in and until next time, stay cool.